So this morning we are concluding our sermon series on the letter of 1 John, this wonderful letter from Pastor John to his congregation. It's about, congregation's been around for about 50 years and he is sending them this letter. Uh, there's been a lot of themes that we've explored throughout the book and John really uh, summarizes everything that the book says in these final eight verses that we'll look at this morning. Uh, but in, you know, in light of everything, uh, I th- what I see in the, in the passage is, uh, is hope and connection to a creator. And those are two things that every human being needs. We need hope for the future and we need a connection to the God who made us and the God who loves us. And we find that in, uh, in God's word this morning. 1 John 5, verses 13 to 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray, and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I had a professor in seminary, and he taught our, uh, our final Hebrew class. We, we studied the book of Proverbs in Hebrew. And I can't say that I remember you know, all the Hebrew tenses or grammar in Proverbs, but I certainly remember a lot of things that uh, Dr. Stallman taught me. He was a man that was ahead of his time. I remember as he was introducing the book of Proverbs, he talked about how, you know, we're coming into this age, he was saying this 15 years ago before we all had a computer right in our pocket, but he was saying that we're coming into this age where people have all this information We have all this information at our disposal, but do we have wisdom? We have the answers to all kinds of questions that we might have, but do we have an answer to the questions that really matter? The big questions of life, the kind of thing that can't be looked up on a computer or a phone, the kind of thing that needs to be lived out and experienced before we really have an answer. We have a lot of information, but do we know? Do we know a lot? 
And Pastor John, who wrote this letter, when he's talking about knowing, you know, he says that you know that you have eternal life. He's talking about something deeper. He's talking about having a knowledge at, this, at the gut level, at a deep level. He's talking about something that's ingrained in you. The same way you, you would know eternal life, the same way you know your childhood home. And you can remember some of the details of your childhood home or, or the way that you, that you know your neighborhood and how to get home and you don't even have to think about it. Sometimes you leave work and you end up at home and you don't even realize how you got there. And yet it's ingrained. You know it. The way that you know your favorite song, every word, every beat, every note, it's deep inside you. You just know it. It's part of your everyday experience. That's how John taught his people to, to know. And that's how God wants us to know eternal life. Many, many things are conspiring against us today in our world. That they're, they're saying, you know, this is all there is. Just live life for today. Take what you can. Get what you can now. Because, you know, you never know what will happen in the future. And nobody can tell you what happens when someone dies. Nobody really knows. And yet, the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, the Word of God, tell us the opposite. They tell us that we can know that we can know that we are saved, that we can know that we're part of God's family, that we can know that we have eternal life. John is saying, you know, in the most important things of life, the biggest questions, you can know. You can know that you have eternal life. John says we can know three things in these, uh, in these short eight verses. He says that you can know your future, that you can know eternal life, that you can know the power of prayer because you can pray for God's will. And third, that you can know your roots. You can know that you are rooted in Christ and that you belong to him and that you're in him. So let's look at these three, these three things that we can know, our future, the power of prayer, and our roots. We're going to start at verse 13 of chapter 5. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John is saying... I mean, perhaps we, can't, perhaps we can't know what's going to happen to us tomorrow or what's going to happen to us next week. I think, you know, none of us would have predicted the week that we just had or the six months that we've just had. But with the important things, the biggest questions of life, you can know the future. You can know what is to come. And that is eternal life. <clears throat> You can know that you're going to be safe with God. You can know that you have hope and a future. You can know that the best things are yet to come and that God has a house prepared for you with him, mansions of glory, 
That is the future for those that believe in the name of the Son of God, that believe in the name of Jesus, that know that he has come to this earth. You, what, what does this mean? What does this phrase, eternal life, mean? Because I think it's actually even better than we think. It's not just some boring heaven sitting on the clouds, like playing a harp all day or whatever movies or television shows have put into our head. It's way, way better than that. I mean, nobody can describe it. I certainly can't describe it, but it's better than we can ever imagine. It's some of the things that I mentioned, you know, even in the prayer, that everything will be restored, everything will be renewed, everything will be made right. The puzzle will fit together again. Everything will be as God intended it to be from the very beginning. Everything will have that original purpose, which is to glorify God. So the mountains and the trees and the forests and the gardens in this garden city, they will glorify God, and all the inhabitants of this city will glorify God. Every tongue, tribe, and nation will gather together, and they will be worshiping Jesus as King. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. N.T. Wright says that we can think of eternal life as the life of the age to come. That's, that's the age that's coming. And yet we get little foretastes of it. We get little samples of it today. We notice when things are right. We notice when things are beautiful. And that's this hunger that we have for heaven but even, even right now, even when we're looking forward to the age to come, we are living in this different kingdom. Verse 19 tells us that, that we're not living under darkness. We're living in the light, and there's a huge, huge difference. So it's, the way you can think of it is kind of like uh, Vatican City. You know, over in, uh, in Italy, in Rome, there is an, a little enclave, a country that's totally separate. It's totally surrounded by Rome and by Italy, but it is, you know, Wikipedia says it's a distinct territory under full ownership, exclusive dominion, and sovereign authority. It's, it's an enclave. It's surrounded by another country, but it's, it's its own territory. And when you pass through the gates, and I've, I've been there, you pass through the gates and you get into Vatican City, you know you're someplace different. You're not in Rome anymore. And the, the people that live there, it's got the smallest population in the world, 825 people live in that country of Vatican City. But all of them can say, I don't live in Italy. You know, I don't live in Rome. I'm not Italian. I live in Vatican City, and there's a different culture here. There's a different way of life. There's different values. There's different authorities. There's different structures. There's different laws. And I live according to the values of this kingdom. That's what it's like for the people of God. The age, we're living in the age to come. It's, it's already, but it's not yet but we are living it out. We don't value the things of this world. We don't place our confidence in them. We don't worship them as idols. We don't look to the, the gods of this age. We look to Jesus. 
We trust in him. We hope in him. So that, you know, what I call the four horsemen of 2020, COVID, racism, division, wildfires, when those four horsemen come in, we say, nothing of eternal value can be taken from me. Those things can't take anything from me because I'm living in a different kingdom. I'm living in the age to come. I have the hope of eternal life. And the thing that I have with Jesus, the life that he's given me, it is of eternal, infinite value. And things are not as they seem. So when we're attacked, when we're discouraged, we look to those things. And we say, you know what, Lord? There's a deeper story. There's a deeper power in the universe that can turn everything around in a moment. C.S. Lewis called it the deeper magic in the universe that brought Aslan back from the dead. There's a deeper story. And things are not just as they seem. There was a, a businessman who, uh, who was away traveling for work on the other side of the country. And in those, in those meetings, he found out that his business partner, the man that he had invested everything in, the man that he had worked so hard to build up this business, had turned on him, had taken everything, and that he was going to have to go back to his wife and family and tell them, the whole business, our livelihood, everything we've worked for, it's gone. So he walks in and he sits down with his wife at the kitchen table, and she says, he says, I lost everything. It's gone. The whole business, our livelihood, we lost everything. And she pauses, and she says to him with a little wry grin, I thought I was your everything. I thought I was your everything. I thought our relationship was everything. I thought that the stuff and the money and the business, I thought that was your work, but I was your everything. And I think, you know, in a similar way, I think the Holy Spirit reminds us, you know, I, I, thought, I thought I was your everything. I thought I, I am your, your everything, you know, your capital E everything. I am your life. I'm the one that gave you life. I'm the one that put breath in your nostrils. I'm the one that knit you together in your mother's womb. I laid down my life for you. The eternal life, life in the age to come, that Jesus has given those who believe in him, that is our everything. That is what we look to. That is the hope that we are designed for and that we look for our whole lives. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Pastor Mark Jetsky, he writes, he writes this, you can be sure, you can be sure, you can be sure that God loves you, approves of you, has your name written in his book of life, has sent angels to watch over you, likes you, and has your name engraved on the palms of his hands. 
I love so many of those ideas, but especially this idea. You know, sometimes we hear God loves you so much that it kind of lost its meaning. But did you know that God also likes you? That God wants to be with you? That God approves of you? That God wants to be your best friend? That Jesus is there? That he likes you? That he sings over you? That he delights in you? Pastor Mark says, Jesus loves me, this I think, this I hope, this I wish. Wrong. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So friends, if we, if we had that knowledge deep in our hearts, deep in our hearts, that we had eternal life, how would that change how we live? How would that affect our decisions. If it was like our, our favorite song or our way home, how would that affect us? I mean, three things for me that I've been reflecting on this week is first, the way I would spend my time and my money would change. If I truly knew that I had eternal life, I would do everything I can with my time, with my money, with everything God's given me to get that word out, to focus on the things that God cares about what matters most to him second i would i would be able to put off a lot you know i would be able to delay gratification and i would have a big hope for the future because i would know that the best is yet to come and i would be able to persevere i'd be able to persevere through stressful times through times that make me angry through difficult times with relationships i would be able to to persevere because I would know that these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. 2 Corinthians 4. And third, you know, if this knowledge that I'm going to spend eternity with other believers was with me, I, I, I might as well practice getting along with them now. So, Democrats, Republicans, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, poor, rich, whatever it is, I would try to love them, knowing that we're going to spend eternity together worshiping Jesus, and that the value of that kingdom is love, especially, especially for our enemies, especially for people that persecute us. So first, you can know. You can know the future. You can know that you have eternal life. Second, John teaches us that you can know the power of prayer. You can know that when you pray for God's will, that he hears you and that he responds and he acts in accordance with his will. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. We have the confidence. You know, so often our prayers lack confidence. We don't really know what's, what's going on. It's just wish. We're just throwing things out. But if we pray for God's will, we can be confident that God's going to act in accordance with, with who he is. The most powerful prayer is thy will be done. Your will be done, Lord, not, not my will. I trust you. 
I depend on you. I know that you know best. So I want your will to be done in my life. Tim Keller says that God will either give us what we ask for or what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. Or if you prefer the Garth Brooks version, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Pretty much the same thing. Recognizing that sometimes our prayers are off and sometimes we're praying for our own will and God turns that into something beautiful by saying no, by saying wait, and he works out his own will in our life. There was a, there was a time when I had just finished seminary and I was hoping to, to work at my church full time. And my, uh, my pastor, Ken Kuman, who used to serve here, he really wanted me to come on full time as his associate. And we both really wanted it, and the church had the money, and it looked like everything was going to work out. But of course, um, you have to have a congregational vote for these sorts of things. And I'll never forget how Ken was praying before the vote, before people cast their ballots. And he said, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. We pray for God's will to be acted out because that protects you from selfishness, from manipulation, from foolishness by assuming you know what God's will is. And in that situation, it worked out great for me and for the church, but it's a sign of humility and it's a sign of spiritual maturity to say in every situation, God, I don't see this whole picture you see what's going on. We want your will most of all, not our own. Jesus, Jesus prayed, thy will be done in the garden of Gethsemane. When he knew that God would save his people, and yet he wondered if there was any other way than for him to have to suffer and die. And God said, no. Go to the cross. Be that perfect substitute for my imperfect people. Take the weight of sin and shame and guilt. Take it upon yourself. And that is how Jesus opened the door. That's how he gave us salvation. That's how he made it possible that there would even be eternal life. So there's, there's so many times when we don't know why things happen, that why God doesn't answer our prayers. I mean, why this pandemic? Why these violence, this violence in our streets? Why these wildfires, especially after everything else the last few months? And we can lament, and we can complain, and we can ask the questions. God's not afraid of that. We see it all over the Psalms. But we also trust at the end of the day, on the other side of those, so many of those psalms of lament, there's praise. And they're saying, you know what, Lord, I trust you. I trust you because the answer is coming. And it may not be until I get to eternal life, but the answer is coming. It's kind of, you know, C, C.1. <laughs> when your prayers aren't answered, when we don't know why, when we don't know God's will, See point one of this sermon. We have eternal life. God has that whole time to make it up to us. 
and to answer every question that we have. We can know that we have eternal life and we can know that we have the power of prayer. And third, we can know whose we are, who we belong to, that we belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The way that John puts it in verse 20 is that we are in him who is true. We are in Jesus. Our roots are in him. And remember, John is the same one who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote in John chapter 15 that we are the, the vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. And in Him, when we stay rooted in the vine that is Jesus, we are fruitful. And the vine dresser, God the Father, He prunes. He prunes, and we are even more faithful. He, he gives and he, he takes away. And I, I know, you know, to use a word that I've been using a lot this morning, I know that there's been a lot of pruning in 2020. That God has taken away a lot of the things that we were used to and things that were comfortable for us. And he's taking some of those comforts away. And some of them, some of them might be idols. <laughs> you know, John closes the letter, my dear children, my flock, my congregation that I love, keep yourself from idols. An idol is anything else we look to. Don't look to those things to save you. Don't look to these creature comforts, but look to Christ and him alone. You're rooted in him. God's been pruning us in 2020 so that we can be more fruitful so that the control freaks of which I, I count myself a member of that club so that we can remember who is actually in control who's actually on the throne who's actually leading us and that is Christ we are in him we will abide everyone who is in him will make it John wrote these words also of from Jesus. He wrote them down. I give them, I give my people eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hands. That is the perseverance of the saints, my friends. That is knowing that we are in him, that we're in Christ, that we will make it, that we're rooted in the vine. We may feel we may feel on some days that we've lost everything, but we still have eternal life. We still have a connection to our Father in prayer, and we still have our roots in Christ. We are in Him. The world and the flesh and the devil tell us that this is all that there is. That, you know, in subtle ways and not so subtle ways, just enjoy what you have now, experience today, but the Spirit tells us, the Word tells us, there is a life beyond this. That this life is very temporary, but eternal life with God is coming. You can know, you can know, you can have peace, you can take, you can take comfort. That even, even in the unexpected, and 2020 has been full of the unexpected, 
even in times like this, we can know that the biggest questions in life, there is an answer, and his name is Jesus. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promises of your scripture. Thank you that they are yes and amen. Thank you that you have made us part of your family and that you root us in yourself. God, may, we, uh, may these truths come to our mind readily and available. And available. May, may we know them deep in our hearts. May we know that this life is not all there is. May we know that we have the gift of prayer, that we can reach out to you any time, day or night, and pray your will in our lives, and that we are connected to you that you will never let us go. Thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross for us that time when he prayed, your will be done. And he showed us what love is by dying on the cross for us. Bring us to faith, Lord. Strengthen our faith. Give us knowledge and may we know that we have the promise of eternal life. We ask all these things in Christ's name, praying his will. Amen.